0: documenting things like other variables, other dietary variables. Maybe it's hunger, maybe it's your emotions, maybe it's your sleep and stress, and journaling them in conjunction with your meal plan so that it informs your meal plan. It improves your mindset and your awareness so that you can make the choices you want for next week. Simple as that. That way you know that the meal plan you came up with is or is not aligned with the goals. Welcome to the Wits and Weights podcast. I'm your host, Philip Pape, and this twice-a-week podcast is dedicated to helping you achieve physical self-mastery by getting stronger, optimizing your nutrition, and upgrading your body composition. We'll uncover science-backed strategies for movement, metabolism, muscle, and mindset with a skeptical eye on the fitness industry so you can look and feel your absolute best. Let's dive right in. Wits and Weights community, welcome to another solo episode of the Wits and Weights podcast. In our last episode, 111, The Anti-Diet Athlete Mindset with Sherry Shaban, Sherry and I challenged your conventional wisdom on dieting and fitness as we looked at why diets fail, the nuances of transformation versus results, and how you can transform your identity into that of an athlete. Today, for episode 112, The Perfect Meal Plan. We are going to unlock your physique's full potential without being a slave to restriction. I'll explain why those one-size-fits-all diet plans are holding you back and arm you with the science-backed strategies you need to customize your own perfect meal plan. A dynamic and flexible meal plan that balances your energy needs, macros, micros, fuels your workout performance, and supports your metabolism. And of course, it's not just about food you'll learn psychological tactics that will keep you adhering to your plan, smashing those plateaus, and tasting the freedom that comes with flexible dieting. If you're tired of feeling stuck in a meal planning box and want to turbocharge your journey to your ideal physique without the restriction, save this episode as your game plan. Most importantly, Listen all the way through because there is so much gold here in terms of strategies plus the exact step-by-step method I like to use to construct the perfect meal plan. So there's a lot in this episode. With that, let's get into the topic, the perfect meal plan. First, we have the one-size-fits-all meal plan. When someone says, hey, do you provide meal plans in your coaching? Or can I see a meal plan? Or an existing client might even ask for a meal plan. What they're asking for is a list of meals or snacks with specific foods or potentially recipes organized by the throughout your day that potentially have calories and macros listed that meet a certain plan, a certain ma- plan for calories and macros. This is what I call the one size fits all meal plan or the template meal plan. And this is the epitome of a singular rigid method that supposedly can meet the needs of everyone. But we know, in fact, research shows quite the opposite, both for dieting, for training, and really for anything in life where we're trying to be consistent and hit a goal and make progress, that a one-size-fits-all, where you have rules, good and bad, and restriction is going to cause the opposite of what we intend. It's going to cause you to stick to it maybe for a month or two, is what the research shows in terms of the meal plans, and then you're going to fall off the wagon, because there is a wagon. And we don't like wagons, but that's a wagon. And so uh, I think the research has shown that no matter what diet you follow, in a 12-month period, the first two months, people stick to it maybe 60 70% of the time. They get to their goal, which oftentimes is weight loss. And then the rest of the year, they're pretty much doing what they were doing before. And if if anything, they might start start to gain a little bit of weight back. So we know that this idea of a meal plan is going to backfire from the research. There is plenty of emerging, emerging evidence that suggests that anything we do, should be individualized based on your individual factors and lifestyle, whether that's your age, your activity level, your metabolic rate, your food preferences, okay? Something that's very important, but we often throw that out the window when we're saying, hey, just give me a plant. Just give me a diet, right? Yeah, but what if you like pizza and the diet says you can't have pizza? Right there, we're going to run into a brick wall. Um, And and there are plenty of experts out there and plenty of research that shows the importance of personalized nutrition is where it's at. And that's where we're at on the show. I mean, you know this. Even the title, uh, The Perfect Meal Plan, I'm sure it piqued your curiosity and you said, what is this guy doing? Another clickbaity title. Let's see what this is all about. But by the end of this show, you are going to have the perfect meal plan for you. That is where I'm going with this. There's also this common obsession with macros. And I talked all about this on my last solo episode, which was about flexible dieting versus if it fits your macros and it causes us to neglect other things. So you should definitely go check that out. I think it's episode 110 called macros aren't enough. Listen all the way through to get all of the nuances. But when we talk about a meal plan, are we talking about calories and macros? No, we should also be talking about optimal health, optimal performance. You're trying to get physique goals. You're trying to work out. You want energy on and on and on and on. The list goes on. It's very difficult to encapsulate that on a piece of paper with a table that says, here's what you eat. Unless again, you have a nutritionist or dietitian who you're paying to exactly understand what you're going through and what you need and then giving you a meal plan. But even that is is bound to fail because it's a restrictive approach. It's a rigid approach. The other thing is you are going to have a different metabolic requirement and thus calorie requirement than somebody else and different macro needs, right? So even the same meal plan calories, let's say a 2,500 calorie meal plan, is not going to be as effective for one person versus another because it doesn't account for the individual macro needs. And let's just face it, we know this. I've talked about it many times that your individual expenditure changes on a daily basis. And so in reality, we're adjusting our macro targets and our calorie targets each week. Meal plans are not very resilient to that. There are also some uh, nutritional timing assumptions when we have meal plans. The fact that a meal plan assumes a certain number of meals, certain meal frequency, certain meal timing. First of all, we know that meal timing is somewhat important. It's not as important as the basics, energy, macros, even micros. And, but, but it is somewhat important depending on how much you care about your performance and your workouts and so on. Here's the thing. From day to day, your life changes. Things happen the nutritional timing needs to be flexible enough to account for that. So timing in a templated one-size-fits-all meal plan becomes another barrier to adherence, is my point. It becomes another thing where if you don't quite hit it, what do you do, right? And what if you miss a piece of a meal or a piece of a snack? Where does it go in the day? You've you've just succumbed to the all-or-nothing thinking, which is exactly what we try to avoid, what we do avoid here. There's also food quality, right? A meal plan doesn't always account for that. I mean, to be fair, I get that if somebody is giving you a meal plan and they're an expert, you know, they've pro- they're probably including lots of whole foods in there. But that brings up another challenge of what if you don't want all whole foods and you want a little bit of, you know, something, something, a little uh, indulgence here or there. You want some flexibility to substitute something out. It really doesn't account for the, the quality, quality indulgence part of that without sacrificing something along the way. And then meal plans don't let you learn. It's like giving somebody a fish instead of teaching them to fish right? Learning to track and adjust and become intuitive over time, because I think ultimately true intuitive eating is within your grasp, but most people fail to go through the initial process of developing the intuition. And a meal plan is just another way to say, here's the answer, maybe, and it's not even close to the real answer, instead of teaching you the skills, right? And I always like to say that with my clients, it really isn't about coaching, it's about teaching skills. Coaching is just part of the process, but the skills are what you take for life. And then finally, (laughs) no matter how effective the meal plan might seem, it is just not sustainable. It is really like any diet. If it's not dynamic, then it's not sustainable, period. Okay, so that's kind of my diatribe to just to get things started. And I could just end the podcast right there and say, okay, so the answer is there is no perfect meal plan and it really has to be customized. But I don't think that's very helpful and that's probably not why you're tuning in. I've actually broken this podcast into three segments. That was the first segment. Now I want to talk about a whole bunch of psychological strategies. And this list was a lot of fun to put together because I've been thinking a lot about this topic lately, posting on it, listening to other podcasts, doing research. And at the risk of overwhelming you, I want to give you some things to think about in the mindset department that have nothing to do with food. I mean, food is involved, but they're not like food choice so that if one of these really resonates with you and you hadn't considered it before, I've just added something in your repertoire that you can use when constructing your meal plan because the last part of the podcast, please stick around, is going to be step-by-step. Step. How do you do it, right? How do, how do I do it? How do my clients do it? And so on. So psychological strategies for success with meal planning. Here we go. The first one is surrounding consistency. Okay, consistency is king regular meal timing, that is having a routine every day, the same types of meals, mainly the timing of the meals is what I'm talking about, has been shown to increase metabolism and regulate your hunger signals. The idea that you eat roughly the same time every day, just like when you go to sleep the same time every night, is now aligned with your circadian rhythm. And that gives your body a sense of relief that it doesn't have to fear scarcity or a lack of food. And therefore, it kind of relaxes on its conservation of energy, therefore burning more calories. So, you don't have to eat the same food every day necessarily, but if you keep your meal timing consistent, it can help. So, that's the first one. And all of this is going to come into play when you put together your meal plan because you're going to think, okay, how do I make it adhere to some of these strategies? The second one is the classic 80 20 principle, the Pareto principle, right? If you can select 80% whole, nutrient dense foods and leave 20% or you can do 90-10, but 80-20, 20% 20 of indulgences, that is going to go a long way toward a sustainable plan. It just is. It just is because the first thing that happens when you go on a restrictive diet is you cut things out and guaranteed one or more of those things are things you like. And there's something just wrong with that. (laughs) Just as a human, if you tell me I can't do something, oh boy, I'm already hitting resistance right from day one. So 80-20 is always a great philosophy in a lot of things. 80% whole nutrient-dense foods, 20% indulgences. I will let you decide what that is, depending on what what fits your goals. Okay, for me, the indulgences might include ice cream. You've heard me say that many times before. It might include more calorie-dense foods like pizza. A lot of the stuff that many of us like to have as indulgences. Maybe french fries are an indulgence for you. Whatever. So the 80-20 principle. The next one is... (laughs) Your emotional inventory. So listening to your emotions, this is kind of a mindfulness thing, but listening to your emotional state when you're going to eat, right before you eat, while you're eating, after you eat. And this has to do with differentiating between emotional and physical hunger. Now, I do have a, I have a whole guide on this. It's not a very long guide. It, it explains this. It gives you a scale and it gives you a little journal that you can use. Many of my clients have found it super helpful. I've given it away many times. So if you want it, definitely sign up for my email list and then reach out by email. Reply to my first email and say, hey, Philip, you mentioned this hunger guide, this hunger scale, and I want it. So let me have it and I'll give it to you. So the idea here is that hunger is a complicated thing. It is driven by hormonal signals, but it's also tied to our emotions. And so when you're going to eat, being aware of your emotional state when you eat and potentially documenting and journaling it so that you know whether it's physical or emotional, right, psychological, can be very helpful when you decide how to construct your meal plan. Because, for example, you might find that later in the afternoon is when you are at most risk of emotional eating, of binge eating. And instead of trying to hammer away the problem, you can accommodate the fact that you get hungry at that time and maybe shift some of your calories to that point, right? That, that's just one approach. The next strategy is, I'll call it planning for perfection, but preparing for reality. <laughs> I've always been conflicted with this idea, but I, I still stick to it. And that is, we never are going to be perfect. We're human beings, but we can strive for perfection on any given day. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with going for 10 out of 10 every day, knowing that we might hit 9 out of 10, 5 out of 10, 1 out of 10, something more than a zero. And you know what? Some days you might have a zero. It might happen. It's Okay. Don't beat yourself up. Have some self-compassion. But if you have some quality default meals, right? These are like your perfect meals and I'm sorry. You you have you have your perfect plan, but then you have some some quality default meals that you can always fall back on. They may not be in your meal plan, but if the day goes off, like if it goes off plan, you have this little library of a few different meals that can fit in on a given moment, kind of as an emergency, so that you don't have to make the choice in the moment or succumb to your emotions, kind of tied to the last one, right? So plan for perfection, prepare for reality. Always think life is going to happen no matter what. In fact, it's the norm rather than the exception. And I don't know if you hear my girls playing their instruments, but (laughs) you might. Okay. And if you do, consider it part of the background music. Okay. So where was I going with this? Yes. Always have default meals available. Now these default meals could be, for example a small dish of casein powder with almond milk that you put in the freezer as like an ice cream substitute for when you get a sweet tooth late at night, for example, right? And this is just the idea that if emotions get the best of you, you still have a an emotionless strategy to fall back on. Okay. Next one is a goal-oriented mindfulness, right? And what this is, is each meal is contributing toward Something It should be. It should be contributing toward some goal you have, your physique goals, your performance goals. It should be aligned with your existence, your identity as an athlete, like we talked about with um, Sherry, Sherry Shaban when she was on, right? And so as you construct your meal plan, and even as you're eating, being aware of how this is contributing to those goals will improve not only your relationship with food, but your ability to plan for your meals right? And this is kind of a general principle, but a specific application of that principle would be your workout nutrition. Like for me, I work out early in the morning. Right now, three days a week. Sometimes it's four or five or six, depending on what phase I'm in. It's three days a week. So I know on those mornings, I'm planning in a banana and a protein shake early in the morning. Super simple, basic ingredients. It meets my needs and it contributes to me having energy during that workout session. And I know it works for me and I had to get to that over time, right? Sometimes I tried it completely fasted. I realized, no, I don't have energy doing that. Sometimes I tried eating more food, like maybe oatmeal. No, the fiber in that causes it to digest too slowly, and I don't have a lot of time before I work out, so that doesn't work. Too much food in my stomach, et cetera, et cetera, right? These are all goal-oriented. They're not emotional or just, hey, I'm just eating to eat. Now, that's not to say that food can't be delicious. (laughs) I'm okay if these these are not mutually exclusive things. Okay, next thing. I really love this one. I want you to think of batch cooking Okay, meal prep, like on the weekend when you just batch cook some proteins or carbs or something, I want you to think of that as self-care, as an act of self-care. Rather than a chore, it's an act of self-care. Why? Because you are eliminating a ton of stress from the week. You're eliminating emotional decision-making from the week, and you're creating something that's going to perfectly fit into your meal plan. It's going to be ready to go. It's going to be super easy to execute. It's almost like you had a workout plan for the week, and you've actually got all your sets done. And now you just have to kind of log them as you go. Because honestly, eating is not as hard as lifting, right? (laughs) Okay. So think of batch cooking as self-care. Now, the act itself of the batch cooking, of course, itself can be a fun thing. You can do it with your family. You can put on some music. You can have your favorite beverage or snack as you do. Whatever. I don't care. Watch the football game. You know, make itself an act of self-care. But I'm just saying that the stress you reduce from doing it is also a gift to yourself during the week. I've got a lot more for you where this is coming from, so please stick around. This is an epic episode here. Don't know if I meant it to be, but it will be. The next one is the growth mindset. You might know Carol Dweck. She's the author of, oh boy, is it Grit? Oh man, this is terrible. I can't think of the book, but it's really the fixed versus the growth mindset. To me, every failure in life is an opportunity for growth. Everything. So your dietary and food planning mishaps are all opportunities for growth. Meaning if you are thinking in a personalized meal planning context, that gives you the opportunity then to try it out, see what you learn. If it doesn't work, great, that's information. Learn from it, revise. You can't do that with a fixed meal plan. You just can't. So this is the beauty of making your own meal plan um, and using that as an opportunity to learn about yourself. Okay. The next strategy is <clears throat> visualization. All right. We we know visualization is a motivational tool. In different contexts. And I like to use it as well, or suggest some, that you might want to use it um, by visualizing a successful week, visualizing a successful meal, successful day, successful week, and how that all contributes to the goal oriented motivation you had before, right? Because at the end of the day, training, your nutrition, your sleep, all of these things, we want to plan them out. Like we want to think ahead in our logic, with our logical brain, you know, on the weekend, how's this week going to look? And therefore, a successful week backs into how I want to construct my meals and where I put them and so on. It's kind of a fun process because you're, you're looking at your future self a week from now who, who's looking back and saying, damn, you did a great job coming up with that plan because it was so easy to follow. I didn't have to think. Emotion didn't come into it. It had foods I loved. The timing worked out. It supported my training. It supported the things I wanted to do with my family, the social events, all that stuff. So that's a that's another good tool. The next one is always important when we talk about food. And that is the perception that fu- food is fuel. It's not a reward. Even though food can be delicious, you can anticipate it. If you have like a refeed day or a day where you've shifted calories for some fun event, those can still be fun, enjoyable, rewarding experiences, but not specifically because of the food. Food is not something you withhold from yourself. Food is something you give to yourself to nourish you and your goals and your values. And because of that, when you do the meal planning, you can then not think of it as, oh, I'm going to save up for a cheat day so much as on any given day, I want to support my goals and here's how I'm going to do it within the whole context of the week. And I keep saying a week because a week is a good timeline for a meal plan. I wouldn't go beyond that. If if the subsequent week is going to be similar, great, you can reuse the meal plan. Um, and in fact, what you'll find is that in reality, if you're using an app like Macrofactor, you're going to do a lot of copy and paste because you get into a routine where your meal plan is really just your normal routine and therefore you could just copy to the future and not really even have to think about it as much or plan for it as much because you've already experienced the meal plan multiple times. Anyway, food is fuel, not reward. Okay, the next thing is, think about the preemptive strikes (laughs) that you want to account for in your week. And what this is, is for example, a high-protein snack before a situation that would tempt you. Like, if you know there will be emotionally charged situations during your week or situations where you there might be alcohol involved or there might be a lot of other people involved where you get distracted and these are normally the situations where you might overeat, bam, put your meal plan to work for you by shifting what happens before that point to minimize the chance of doing what you don't intend to do. And that could be something like having a lot of protein an hour before that event so now you're not as hungry. It could be shifting calories, whatever. But be preemptive. That's the way I like to think of it. That's an element of planning. Okay, the next one is social accountability. And this is simply recruiting your spouse, friend, family member, community member, coach, whoever is on your side and supports your goals, and sharing your meal planning goals with them, sharing uh, ideas, maybe asking them for ideas. Maybe they, they also use Macrofactor like you and you can share recipes right? That's perfectly easy to do. You can take you can take a meal that you like to eat, turn it into a recipe and share it. Say, hey, this is what I like for my lunch while I'm in fat loss, right? And so just like with anything else, the act of meal planning can be a social experience to enhance your commitment, okay? The next one is, Carl's going to love this. Carl Berryman, if you're listening, you're going to love this. And this is daily or weekly journaling associated with your meal planning. And this, is, this goes back to what I talked about during the flexible dieting versus if it fits your macros episode of documenting things like other variables, other dietary variables. Maybe it's hunger, maybe it's your emotions, maybe it's your sleep and stress and journaling them in conjunction with your meal plan so that it informs your meal plan. It improves your mindset and your awareness so that you can make the choices you want for next week. Simple as that. That way you know that the meal plan you came up with is or is not aligned with the goals we talked about earlier. So that's journaling. The next one is called the one more rule. This is kind of the tiny habits of meal planning. Incremental changes. If this is your very first week doing it, how successful do you think you're going to be if you, if you literally just plan the whole week out and it's completely different than anything you've ever done? It's going to be tough. Even though you've planned it out, it's still going to be tough to to meet that. You're not setting yourself up for the best success, in my opinion. I would add one or two things the first week, one or two things the next week, and so on. For example, adding extra vegetables to your existing meals, like continuing to eat similar to what you were, but adding a vegetable, adding a protein. And again, I'm always a fan of adding in, adding in, adding in, adding in, which then crowds out what you don't want and what is not aligned with your goals. So you can do the same thing with meal planning. First week, just just take what you would normally eat and add in here and there strategically and continue to build week after week. The next one is decision fatigue. You're probably familiar with this concept, the idea of paralysis by analysis, that you have so many choices that you can't even make a single choice. And so when it comes to meal planning, I'm not a big fan of big, fancy recipes, even though I, I have recipe guides if you want them. I'm not a fan of using that for meal planning. I would rather you have a very limited set of food choices, and then you just mix and match. I mean, really limited. It could be as simple as two meats that you batch cook, one that you use for lunch, one that you use for dinner, two carbs, and then several vegetables, right? Like two, two, two. That goes for lunch and dinner the first week. Just keep it really simple, almost boring, sure, right? And if it's too boring, mix it up. That's totally up to you. But if you have enough combination if you have enough foods even if it's a short list they'll make a lot of different permutations right a lot of different combinations Hey this is Philip and I hope you're enjoying this episode of Wits and Weights I started Wits and Weights to help people who want to build muscle lose fat and actually look like they lift I've noticed that when people improve their strength and physique they not only look and feel better they transform other areas of their life their health their mental resilience and their confidence in everything they do And since you're listening to this podcast I assume you want the same things, the same success, whether you recently started lifting or you've been at this for a while and want to optimize and reach a new level of success. Either way, my one-on-one coaching focused on engineering your physique and body composition is for you. If you want expert guidance and want to get results faster, easier, and with fewer frustrations along the way to actually look like you lift, go to witsandweights.com and click on Coaching or use the link in my show notes to apply today. I'll ask you a few short questions to decide if we're a good fit. If we are, we'll get you started this week. Now, back to the show. So again, I do have a guide to help you with meal planning that I give to my clients. And again, sign up for my email list, witsandweights.com slash email, and then reply to me and say, hi. I I want the guide for selecting food. And it's got proteins, fats, carbs, fruits, and vegetables a short list with all the information about them so you can easily mix and match from very commonly available foods. And then it does have sample meal plans. Again, I say that with caution because they're just ideas of how you can put things together. But decision fatigue is important, so keep the choices limited at first and start to get it more complex over time. Okay, the next one is, I think this is the last one on my list of strategies, is habit stacking or anchoring your habits. So this is pairing your new habits with existing routines. And this could be not just the act of meal planning itself. Although, of course, if you want to like turn on your favorite music or podcast while you're coming up with your first meal plan, that's fine. This is more making sure that the meals and the timing of the meals align with your schedule such that not that you're eating and doing something else at the same time, because that's not always recommended. But you're guaranteed or almost guaranteed to actually eat those meals. Because one of the problems I see early on with clients is they actually struggle to eat all the meals, (laughs) even if we have it planned in there. And part of the problem is you're not planning for success. You're not anchoring the meals to your lifestyle, right? And pairing those habits with what you already do. And so it could be a matter of, for example, anchoring them around your workout. That's a nice solid one. It could be anchoring it around a walk. So like, you know that you eat and then you walk. It could be anchored around the habit that you normally have where you go to the vending machine and get a candy bar. It could be <laughs> in that slot as instead, right? That, okay, I'm going to have my protein snack. A lot of ways to do this. The one other thing I actually forgot to add to my notes, but I'm going to mention it is if you're using a food logging app, for example, Macrofactor makes this very easy to do. Use the app as your meal planner. Use your app as the meal planner. It doesn't mean you have to map out your entire week, but you can map out what looks like a successful day. Extremely common strategy that I propose to clients all the time who tell me, hey, you know, I I really am struggling to get the protein and I see it in their data. And again, when you work with me, it is not about 100% adherence at all. There's a lot of flexibility because I would rather learn who you are and, and your patterns than beat you on the head for not hitting a number. That's not the point. The point is to learn about you and find out how we make things more successful over time. So using macro factor and saying, okay, well, you need 150 grams of protein and you're regularly getting 100. Let's map out tomorrow while you're in a logical, cool-headed state today and figure out where to make that happen. Conversely, let's look at your food logs for the last few days and see why we couldn't quite get there. Where's the opportunity to add in a little, little more protein or add in an extra meal or I'll alter your food choices, right? A lot of different ways to skin a cat. So those are the strategies and I'm going on what, 30 minutes now for the episode. And now we're going to get to the final piece, which is the steps to create your personal dynamic meal plan, which that is the perfect meal plan, a dynamic personalized one for you. All right. So this is, this is very prescriptive, very simple, and you may not need all the steps, but here we go. Step one is you have to know your calorie needs. So if you're using an app like Macrofactor, which calculates your expenditure, you'll know what that is on a weekly basis. I'm not going to go into that in detail on this podcast, but whether you're using an estimate, a calculator, or an app that calculates it for you, you've got to have some ballpark of where you're going to start. Like, what are you actually eating? And those calorie needs are going to be based on your calories that you burn every day. That's your maintenance calories, right? Your total calories burned. And then you're either going to add or remove calories for your goal, whether you're trying to build muscle or lose fat. And and really, those are the two directions we go um, on on this show, right? We're not talking about endurance training or anything like that. We're talking about strength, building muscle, improving your body composition. Um, So if you are going into a fat loss phase and you know you want to lose a pound per week and that comes out to a 500 calorie deficit a day and your metabolism is 2,500 calories a day, then your calorie need is 2,000. Very simple concept, but just I wanted to put it out there that that's one of the more important dietary variables when you come up with a meal plan, because of course you want to meet your calorie needs for your goals. All right. Then we go one step down into macros. Okay. Now we have our calorie needs. We want to set our protein, fats, carbs. I'll just repeat the general guidelines that I like for that. For protein, we're going to go with around 0.8 to one gram per pound of your target body weight. So if your target body weight is 180, we're talking 150 to 180 grams of protein. I like to do fats next. I know some people go with carbs next, but I like to do fat next because all of us listening here are building muscle. So we we want to have carbs, like a decent amount of carbs left if we can. It's not always possible when we're in fat loss, for example. For fat, I would anchor it at 30% of your calories, right? So if you're going to consume 2000 calories, 30% of that is what? 600 calories. And then you divide 600 times nine. I'm actually trying to pull up a calculator right now and do that. Uh, and that would be 67 grams of fat. And then the rest goes to carbs. So that's a super basic rule of thumb. Now, how might that vary? Well, if you're in a fat loss phase, you might want a little more protein. Or if you're in a muscle building phase, you could deal with, with a little less. If you've come from a keto background, you like to eat a lot of higher fat foods, you can up the fat a bit and reduce the carbs, vice versa. A lot of ways to skin it. Okay? I'll stop there and keep going. (laughs) So next we have micronutrients. So here's where we start to deviate from the traditional meal plan. So the normal meal plan thinks about calories, macros, and then listing foods by meals. That's basically it. You know, there's some timing aspect to it, maybe. But we're going to go deeper than that because the next thing we care about is micros. And if you go back to the strategies I talked about, 80-20, 80% nutrient-dense foods, 20% other, you're going to get there, you're going to get pretty close to what you need. So if if 80% or more of your foods are whole nutrient-dense foods, you're going to have foods rich in essential vitamins, minerals, fiber. So fiber is not a micronutrient. It's a subset of carbohydrates, but I really think it's important to spike it out and think about the number and and, and aim to hit that number. But again, you don't have to have a giant spreadsheet or anything. If you go with the 80-20 rule, you're probably going to be covered or pretty close to it because most people are like the opposite they're like um 60 or 70% processed foods and like 30 or 40% whole foods. So if you're just doubling your whole foods um through proper meal planning for you for your goals because why do we want nutrient dense foods? We want micronutrients, we want to mitigate hunger, we want to feel full, we want to feel great, we want to support our goals, we want to be healthy and so on. Okay. So incorporating the eighty twenty is an early step in the macro planning process because it already gets you to think of as you're going through. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna think I'm gonna think Whole Foods first, 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 first. But then my ten or twenty percent, where are those gonna go? Where, where's my pizza? Where's my ice cream? Where the where's my glass of wine? Whatever, where's that gonna go? Like, actually plan it in. That's the goal to plan it in and then enjoy them and not think of them as a reward, but just part of your plan. Okay, the next step is and maybe you could have done this earlier, doesn't matter. I want you to list out all the things you like. All the things you like within each category. So the very simple way to do this is list your proteins, fats, and carbs. Now, you could say, well, but, you know, beans are both protein and carbs. Or nuts are, like, mostly fat with some protein. Just put them where they're dominant. So, like, beans, I'm. <laughs> beans are the weird one. I might put them under carbs, to be honest, because... When you really need a protein, it's not as dense as, say, meats, dairy, eggs, and so on, right? Plants have plenty of protein, but they also have plenty of other stuff. And, you know, um, same thing with grains like oats. I'm gonna put that under carbs, even though they have some protein. So you kind of list them out. And guess what? Just put on the list the things you like. Don't put the things you don't like. Now, if you're trying to be adventurous and you're trying to open up your palate, And like I had to do in my, not had to do, but I chose to do early in my marriage when my wife was like, damn, you are so picky. I ate hardly anything, but I was willing to try. And together we incorporated more foods and I found out that I could like vegetables, more and more vegetables. And there's certain things I just don't like. Like I don't like tomatoes, so I wouldn't put them on my list. And then mushrooms are like, eh, like I might put them on there because I know they're, they're a good food to have in there and I'm okay with them. So put the things you like the most, put some of the things you want to try to incorporate, maybe categorize them in that way. The things you just absolutely don't like and don't want to eat and don't even want to try to eat, hey, leave them off the list. And then you can have another list or two of indulgences that don't really fit into protein, fats, carbs. Like if pizza's on your list, I mean, what is that? That's a lot of fat, a lot of carbs, maybe some protein, a bunch of oil, right? It's very calorie dense. So it's kind of in its own category of indulgences. So there you go. You've got your little menu to choose from. And again, I have a guide I can give you that has basic lists like of those. The fruits and vegetables might be in their own category, for example. Don't make it complicated, but just come up with the list that you need to choose your foods from. That's it. Come up with that before you go to the next step. The next thing is you definitely are going to want to have a way to measure your food if you're tracking your food to that level. So if you're tracking it to the gram level, having your food scale. And I kind of throw this in here just to make sure you're prepared. So when you get to the meal planning or the the execution part, you know, if you're planning out a hundred grams of potatoes, how are you going to know you ate a hundred grams of potatoes, right? Now you could use quantities like one medium potato and stuff like that, but I'm really a big fan of just normalizing everything, just making it all grams Weighing your food, doing that for a while until this becomes intuitive. Because if you're using a meal plan, it's because you don't quite have that intuition yet. And I get it, right? Because that's where we all start from. You don't have that yet. And so we want to be very precise. I, I prefer more precision to less. Um, you don't have to do it that way, but just be aware that you want to be prepared for it, for controlling the the portion measurement, especially initially. Okay. Okay. Next on your meal plan checklist is the frequency and timing that aligns with your lifestyle and metabolic needs. And that could include workout nutrition. So this is pretty straightforward. For most people, there are routine days and not so routine days. And for most people, that's weekdays versus weekends or training days versus non-training days or some combination, right? Training days, non-training days, weekends, and oh, by the way, I love to go out partying every Saturday night. And so that's its own little day. Fine. Whatever it it takes. Each of those days is its, has its own unique plan. Makes sense, right? We're not going to have one plan that we do every day. Even though I would say that that is ideal, in reality, you're not going to do it. Just admit it to yourself right now. You're not going to do it. You might do it for two weeks, but you're not going to keep doing it. Why? Because it's restrictive. That's rigidity. That is what we're trying to avoid. Okay, A plan that works on a day that it's easy to execute the plan is not restrictive. It's just having a plan. But a plan that you're trying to force into a day where it won't be easy to meet the plan and you know that is restrictive. That's the difference, okay? (laughs) So I'm very passionate about this stuff, as you can tell, uh, because there's so much BS out there. But meal frequency and timing. What does this look like? Take a typical day, let's say a non-training day, uh, that's in the middle of the week, and very simply, map out your meals. (laughs) That's it. Map out your meals and your snacks your indulgences, everything, like put it all in there. It might be breakfast, lunch, mid-afternoon snack, around the time that you normally get hungry, <laughs> and then dinner, and maybe a dessert or a pre-bed snack if that's what you want or need for your goals. And then do the same for your training day. Do the same for the weekend. And what? And then put it all together. Put it all together for seven days, and that's going to tell you a lot of information because does it fit? <laughs> And by fit, I mean calories and macros, right? Let alone all the other stuff, which which is driving your decision of, of f- what foods to pick. But calories and macros, are they fitting? And so that's why I like to look at the whole week because your training day may have more food than your non-training day if you want to do it that way. I don't recommend that initially. I'd rather just keep it pretty consistent and then you can shift things around from that. But you may decide right now that no, on the weekends, I'm going to have more calories. So I'm going to make that happen in my plan. Fine. That's your that's your lifestyle. Okay. So meal timing and frequency, set that up, plan it out for the whole week. Um, I kind of alluded to this already, but the next thing I would do is to pre-schedule all of your indulgences so that you can adjust the other things around it. So once you've got your typical day, and I kind of missed telling you this, but when you plan out your normal day, you don't have to have indulgences in the default meal plan, let's say, but then you'll realize, huh, where do I want indulgences? And you may decide, I'm going to, instead of having a dessert every day like I do now, maybe I'll have one three times a week or I'll have it only on the weekends. And I'm going to plan that in that way. And then I know it's coming and there we go. So pre-plan your indulgences, make it work. Another way to do that is just leave an open spot of probably fats and carbs, let's be honest. Most indulgences are fats and carbs and leave an open spot. I would do this sometimes during a fat loss phase when it starts to get a little hairy there at the end. I get lean and the calories are somewhat low. I might reserve, say, 200 calories at 8 p.m. if I go to bed at like 9.30 or 10 for a little bit of protein and some carbs. And I know I just said fats and carbs, but for me, that was like a protein pudding, for example. And I would do that just in case because I knew that, hey, I might get hungry. I didn't always take advantage of it. I would sometimes accommodate earlier in the day and maybe have a bigger dinner And just not have it, or I would end up with less calories for the day, which was fine as well since I was in fat loss. It it generally worked out. Okay, then you are going to take those days that you just planned and make sure that you have the right lifestyle factors accounted for. So, this would be, for example, variety, right? I don't want you to eat the same thing every day if that's not gonna be enjoyable for you, but you may have the same breakfast every day. You maybe even have the same lunch every day for the week, and then next week you switch up the lunch. Like the way I do it, I've been eating the same breakfast for years. My lunch tends to be similar uh, during the week. And then the next week, I might switch it up. Like I might have a different meat. I might go from chicken thighs all this week to lean ground beef all next week, as an example. So the idea here is not just to have a fixed plan for the week, but options for yourself. And so what this might look like is some different example days. So for your routine day in the middle of the week, you might have a couple versions of that. And you just kind of rotate back and forth. Okay. Now, this might all seem overwhelming. I'm not saying that you have to have all of this written down per se. It's more of being conscious of it. And it could be just the next day. It could be the two days ahead that you do that. Just just putting that out there. Okay. Flexibility. Okay. Now, once you've got all that, guess what? Next, it's time to execute. So the first step to executing is shopping, right? You create a shopping list, Based on the the sample days, you think about whether you want to do some meal prep, some batch cooking, if it's convenient, if it helps you with your self-care and reducing stress. And then you go and buy the groceries. <laughs> Simple, right? Then you are going to log everything and execute. So you're going to, you know, meal prep if you have to, but if not, or if you chose to, but if not, um, you know, you wake up in the morning, you've got this plan ready to follow, whether you've, whether you've pre-documented it or it's mental or whatever works for you. Again, flexibility. And you just start to execute it and you start to log it. And at the end of the week, guess what you have? You have super valuable information on actual versus expected feedback. That's the feedback loop, actual versus expected. So anything that you missed, you reevaluate and you say, why did I miss it? Is it okay that I missed it? Do I need to switch something up? Is it tied to psychological hunger? Is it tied to something that came up in my life? and how could I better accommodate that in the future? And on and on and on. It's all a detective game. <laughs> let's say. It's at least I, you know, I enjoy this. You can hear it in my voice with my clients when they come in and they check in for the week and they're a little bit discouraged. You know, uh, my check-in back to them will will always be positive because I know that that discouragement comes from the fact that they disappointed themselves and didn't quite meet their plan. And for me, I look at it as, oh, now we have this amazing information that we can grow from, growth mindset. You're going to be even better this week and the week after and the week after. You're just going to constantly grow. And this is this is awesome. This is an opportunity. And so I love having all that information logged because then it's easy to see what's going on. Okay. The next thing, I don't want to forget this in all of this detail, but please do listen to your body all the time and pay attention to your body's responses. And then let that also serve as information for the meal even if you're not writing it down if you constantly get digestive issues and you can tie it to what you ate come on that's that's telling you the information right there stop eating that (laughs) like stop eating that thing and make a change maybe it's less of that a different version of that cutting it out altogether, switching to something else whatever that's your body telling you uh what you want to do okay and then all of this um is an ongoing process so i would say not only do you make adjustments potentially every week but as the weeks go on you and you become more attuned to your body and you get into a routine it almost becomes easier to adjust at that point because you can pick out where changes cause outcomes you know right like if you all of a sudden start to experience something and you've only changed this one thing in your meal this week you know that could be the culprit right it gives you it gives you more sensitivity to your own body and to your meals with that awareness okay this is a lot. Like I said, it's, it's, it's a lot. So now you have the answer. You have the answer, the perfect meal plan, which is simply the one that works for you. And so now you're equipped with multiple ways to get there, multiple strategies, step-by-step approach. Hopefully I didn't miss anything. If I did, please reach out to me. But I think that'll get you going uh, quite a way along the road to success. If you need some help putting one together, okay, again, I do not do meal plans. I do not give people meal plans. However, if you join my email list and then you reply to let me know that you listen to today's show, right? Episode 112, and you want my free guide to creating your own meal plan, I will send you a guide that gives you a list of foods, it gives you sample meal plans for inspiration only, and it gives you foods sorted by protein density, meaning um, all the types of foods for steak, for example, sorted by which ones have more. The most versus the least protein, which really helps because when you're in fat loss, for example, and you're trying to play this little Tetris game of keeping the protein high, but the calories low and enough carbs for energy and it can be difficult. But I find that starting with very high protein density usually makes the rest of the equation fall in line pretty easily. So that's why I provide that in there. If you want it, go to witsandweights.com slash email, join my list, and then just reply to my email. Um, I answer every one. I'm a human being. I love conversation. So Do that. Go to the link in my show notes or go to witsandweights.com slash email. All right. In our next episode, 113, Barbell Training for Physical Therapy and Injury Prevention with John Patrizzo. Oh, this is an awesome one. John is a physical therapy consultant throughout my rehab journey, and he's just a master at combining barbell training with rehab. You don't find that too often in the industry, and he's going to teach you a lot. We discuss how he marries those two worlds. We're going to challenge conventional wisdom, as always. We're going to give you a framework that could drastically change your approach to injury prevention and rehab. It did for me. You'll learn why strength isn't just about lifting weights and why barbell training could be your secret weapon against not just injury, but mediocrity. Please subscribe or follow the podcast right now in your podcast app, please pause or go into the app, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Overcast, whatever, Spotify, click either follow or subscribe, whatever they call it, and you'll get notified and automatically download new episodes. It also helps me. It helps the ranking of the show, the more subscribers there are. So don't just download willy-nilly, actually subscribe and that will help others find the show. As always, stay strong and I'll talk to you next time here on the Wits and Weights podcast. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Wits and Weights. If you found value in today's episode and know someone else who's looking to level up their wits or weights, please take a moment to share this episode with them. And make sure to hit the follow button in your podcast platform right now to catch the next episode. Until then, stay strong.